0: Well, Thank you very much. Uh, I really appreciate the welcome. Thank you for receiving me so kindly. Uh, I've had a good time this week. Um, I've learned that Josh knows just one coffee shop in Sweden um, that, that we go to like, every time I come. He brings me there. That's it. Um, it's like he doesn't want to give me the best experience. He just wants to keep all that for himself. Thanks. Um, and it's been wonderful to be in a small group this week as well and to, to have lots of conversations and to meet people. Um, I want to thank you for, on, the, on behalf of York City Church, on behalf of my leadership team in York, and as, as a part of the whole community for the way that you've received Ollie and Emily and the boys. Uh, they are a massive, massive loss to us. But that's the gospel, right? The gospel is God's riches at his own expense. And building church is often like that. We didn't send you like people who we didn't care about. (laughs) You know, here's, who who can we get rid of? They'll do. Uh, We sent you the very best. And Ollie and Emily are are the best. And we're glad and we're so happy. I'm delighted to see them thriving and doing well. So so thank you for receiving them so wonderfully, um, for looking after them. And I know that you'll benefit hugely, uh, particularly from Emily's questions. If you've had any time with Emily, she's very good at asking awkward questions and not letting go until she hears the answer. So, uh, and, and Ollie does a great line in whiskey, which is good. So uh, it's going to be it's exciting to be speaking to you this morning. Um, I thought, because Josh had asked me to speak on either the Trinity or the character of the church, which, you know, just small topics for a Sunday morning, for a guest speaker. Um, In some ways, maybe I've managed to combine the two, perhaps a little bit, but not not completely. Uh, But what I'm going to do this morning is to talk to you about what's going on, Uh, and not in the form of a question. I'm not saying, what's going on? Uh, And neither am I really referring to Marvin Gaye, uh, who you can just about see in the background. It's not a soul record either. Really, what I'm... Proposing this morning is to talk to you about what's actually going on here. What's happening now in this room when the church is gathered together. And I think it's a basic theological reality that the gathering of the church is not something that only humans do. Gathering can be a very difficult word if we only imagine that we gather ourselves. But the churches are people gathered and called out by God. And for God. And so, although you woke up this morning and yawned and were sick like me, uh, and had to get changed and ready and come out the door and walk and get a tram or however you got here, you made your way here, but God is gathering His church. And so, there is a theological reality at play here in this very room today in Sweden, followed by a wedding, <laughs> which is another theological reality which we won't go into right now. So, to help, to help get into this topic of what's going on and to talk about the gathering of the church, to begin with, I want to go to a very broad, big picture. What I'm going to do is, is explore three, uh, three key words from four New Testament verses. And I want to try and put together a theological portrait of the church. I want to be able to speak about the church from a theological perspective, to speak about how this is related to God and to what God is doing. And so to get us kicked off, I'm going to speak about the economy of God as we find it in Ephesians chapter 1. If you have got a Bible, you might want to grab it and turn to Ephesians 1. Um, it will, I think it's on the screen. It will be on the screen. Um, Ephesians 1, verse 10, it reads that God's plan for the fullness of time is to gather up all things in him, in Christ, things in heaven, and things on earth. I want to make a few comments about this verse before we dive deeply into it. Where it says the fullness of time here in the text... The Greek text here is actually plural. It's the fullness of times. Now, in the Western world, we have difficulty thinking about time as anything other than just sequential moments. It's all linear. It's just one thing after another after another. But in the Hebrew mindset, It is times, plural. There are many times and epochs and eras and overlap and different kind of events and things that have happened. And what Paul is saying in Ephesians 1 is that God's plan for the fullness, for the completeness of all those times, as many of them as there are, is to bring them all together in Christ Jesus. So in other words, you could say that Jesus has been established by God the Father as the Lord of all history, Everything, all history, all times in their beauty and their horror and their ugliness and their inventiveness and their tragedies and their successes in human glories and human just awfulness. God is at work in Christ, threading and weaving all of these things together to bring about his plan and purpose. Nothing exists outside of this macro, massive, big-picture purpose of God to unite everything in Christ under his headship, everything in heaven and on earth. Now, that phrase in itself is really important. All things in heaven and on earth. Perhaps you've come from a Christian background and grown up in church, and the Christian hope is basically to escape the world. The world is bad, Matter is evil. Things are bad. Bodies are weak and terrible. And what really counts in the Christian life is to escape from the body and to drift up into heaven, which no one knows what it really looks like, but we kind of imagine you know, Matt Redmond's songs or Hillsong playing incessantly. Uh, could be some people's version of hell, perhaps. Um, shouldn't joke about it. That. <laughs> um, but that's actually not what the picture of the Bible is the ultimate hope. The ultimate purpose that God has. Heaven and earth are the two good realms, if you like, of God's created order. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And when the Hebrew mind speaks about the heavens, there are different realms and different levels of the heavens. There is where God is, which is the, the highest heaven. And it's sort of stretching human language to breaking point to talk about where God is because no one's seen it and no one can describe it because you haven't seen it. But then there are the heavens and layers of heavenly realities. And what God in Christ is doing is bringing all of those things together. The final picture in the Bible is not the world burning and the church floating up in white dresses to some kind of heaven somewhere. It's heaven and earth joined In fact, it's the holy city, Jerusalem, the the bride coming down from heaven to be joined in a wedding, in a wedding. The bride and the bridegroom joined forever. Heaven and earth joined together, never to be cast asunder again. And it's begun in the person of Jesus because when Jesus was raised from the dead, the first part of this creation, so to speak, I'm not saying that Jesus is created, but his flesh which is a real human fleshly body, that's the first bit of this creation to actually become new creation. Heaven and earth have been joined now in Jesus. And now, because God has done that, he will most certainly do all the rest. And so if you want to know what is God doing, that's what God's doing. There is a massive, epic movie of of a plan. Even Peter Jackson couldn't begin to put it into a cinematic form. All things being joined together in heaven and on earth in Christ Jesus. Now what I want to do for a moment is just to focus on the word plan. And I'm going to do a little bit of a, a slightly deep dive here by talking about the Greek word for plan, because it's interesting. It's this word oikonomia. Would you like to try and say it? Oikonomia. Okay, it's probably closer to Swedish than English in some ways, so you know, easy, easy for you. Oikonomia, it's the word where we get, the, it's the Greek word where we get the English word economy from. Now when you think economy, maybe you think capitalism, governments, that kind of stuff. But it can mean plan, strategy, purpose, outworking of things. And so when we read that God's economy, his oikonomia in Christ Jesus is for the fullness of time to bring all things together, it has this sense of God is outworking a strategy and a plan. It has a particular flavor to it. It's got a particular thrust about it. It's not random. It's not out of control. God has plotted a course. He set something in action whereby heaven and earth will be joined and Jesus Christ will be universally acclaimed as the all in all God's economy the oikonomia his plan for the fullness of times bringing everything under the headship of Jesus uniting heaven and earth the bride and the bridegroom together in a new creation eternally with no sin sickness darkness evil death painful penalty shootout defeats at the end of a euro final <laughs> it will all pass away it will all pass away and what will be will be new creation that's where it's all going that's what's going on now having talked about what god's doing in this big picture thing you may be wondering well that's all well and good but how does this actually so what great theology <laughs> Theology is great if you like like to sit sit at desks and read books and uh, every now and again try and help people to understand. But how does that, what's that got to do with my life? How do do I, as a late modern 21st century Westerner, how, how how do I get my head around this? What does it mean for me? Well, I'll help you to understand. We're going to move on to talk about our second verse. And in our second verse, we're going to meet the household of God. The household of God. So we're moving from a big picture and now I'm going to focus a little bit more on something a little bit more tangible in terms of what's going on here by speaking of the household of God. 1 Timothy 3, Paul writes about the household of God which is the church of the living God, the pillar and bulwark of the faith. Again, a few comments. The church upholds puts on display, and also defends the truth that Jesus Christ is Lord. And when I say Jesus Christ is Lord, I'm summarizing the gospel announcement. Jesus Christ is King and Lord. When Paul writes about a bulwark, it means a defense. Okay? It's like a fortress. It's something that protects and preserves and defends against enemies. But a pillar in the ancient world is something that you put something on that you want to display to other people. And so the church of the living God, the household of God, both defends against attacks against the truth of the gospel and it also puts on display the truth of the gospel. It maintains the reality that there is one Lord called Jesus Christ and it shows forth the glory and the beauty of the Lordship of Jesus Christ by putting it on display. How does it put it on display? By doing this. Here's one way. As God gathers his church together, it's a community that both defends and puts on display the truth of the gospel. It happens here. It happens when you're faithful to the Lord in your workplace, where you refuse to take a bribe, where you don't get involved in workplace gossip, where you don't annihilate the character of your boss, at fika time, because it's what everybody else does. It's just small ways. They're ways of defending and portraying the truth. But it's the household of God together that is the place where the truth is both defended, maintained, upheld, and put on display for the world to see. Paul describes the church as the household of God. And that's really important because the the church is not it's not simply a, a club or a group or an institution that has a, an interest in somehow preserving something of its life and its you know it's kind of a thing that makes it tick. The church is a household, a family, a people. And the word household is really, really important in the ancient world. It's this whole model of a, of a whole connection of relationships and, uh, and, uh, and sort of different people doing different things and uh, householder and servants and family and children and work and everything. It's all drawn in under this one thing, the household of God. So the church, in some senses, reflects this, this big picture of all of society drawn in together, of a people, a family together, working out the priorities and the desires and the purposes of God on the earth as a means of both defending it and also showing what it looks like. And although you could be forgiven perhaps here at Good First for thinking that this church is basically on the way to becoming the bi-family by additional children and family members who come in. It's a clever tactic. Um, It's actually about this diversity of peoples. I've been amazed this week, uh, in small groups and other settings, to find how many different nations are represented, how many people there are here from all over the world that God has gathered in Gothenburg, and God has gathered as this church community. God has pieced together to put on display the truth that he is Lord and to defend it together. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Now let me do another deep dive for you here and look at some more Greek. Can you remember the word? What was the word before? Oikonomia. Oikonomia. Good. Thank you. Oikonomia. Yeah, that'll do. It's close. The church here is oikotho. Now I think this is fascinating because on one level well it's just a name for the church oiko household theu of God oikonomia the plan of God the economy of God oiko theu the household of God What's going on? The oikonomia is worked out on earth through the oiko theu Those words are, are close there's a, there's a resonance. And it's really important that we understand that this is not something that we do in the vain hope that perhaps we can get God in on what we're doing. You mustn't think that the church has a mission. It doesn't. God's mission has a church. And that's a profoundly different way of thinking about it. You didn't start it. God did. God gathered you. God brought you together as his household to display the truth, and to participate by being the household gathered in the oikonomia. The big picture of God is being fleshed out, literally fleshed out in actual embodied lives together in this room right now and in houses around the city. That's what's happening. You're fleshing out the big picture of God. And so the church is vitally, vitally, vitally important in terms of what God is doing in the world, excuse me for a moment. Now that means that that means that the church is incredibly important to God, and it really doesn't matter too much whether you like the, the, the particular style of Good First. You, you might like the worship songs. Maybe you think, well, I don't know, I prefer this song. I don't like sitting in rows of chairs, I prefer sitting in a circle. Like, I wish Josh wore a suit, why does he have to look a scruff all the time? Like, Can't he, can't he stop having children? Like, we just, I can't remember the names already. Um, I don't know, you know can't, we have, can't we have more of this? Uh, and that's not to say that you can't ask those questions, of course not. But listen, the main thing is not the particular style, because this is not a hotel, this is not a supermarket. This is not a club. Josh has been telling me about this whole Swedish thing where you are part of the sports club. What's the word for it? It's like a charity, almost. Hmm? Yeah, is that it? Okay. That one. And how it kind of, it almost makes demands, right? But you're, but you're in, and you're, you know, your kids are in it, and you're in it, and it's this thing. Well, look, the church is more important than that. And the church isn't a club like that, where you can just drift in and drift out. You know, people treat church like a hotel. I turn up, I stay there for a few days, and then I leave, and I leave the room in a mess, and someone else cleans all that up for me, and I move on to another hotel when I need to. But that's what people do. and I, It dishonours the Lord. I'm not trying to defend him. Like, he knows that he's a Muppet sometimes, as well as anyone else. A muppet. Sorry, Adam. Is there a Swedish translation? No, no, that's, good. <laughs> that's good. Yeah. What was that phrase, Ollie, from the book? The thing that everyone would know. That. Uh, would... Oh, I buy oh, a yeah, buyer, Josh. <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry if you don't know. Emily assured me that everyone would understand that. No, it's not. It's, it's not a hotel. It's not a commodity. I came for a few weeks, but then you know there was a slightly more a slightly more upmarket place down the road appeared. I liked what they had on the shelves a little bit more. It suited me a little bit better. I drifted away and then oh they changed their leadership and I didn't really like that guy, so I or that girl, so I moved on a bit. Listen, dishonours the Lord. The important thing is that you give yourself to the relationships. The style, the particular way that it's presented, none of that really matters all that much. What matters is that you are a community together who are the household of God, whom through relationship and trust and serving and loving and worship reflect the values of King Jesus and flesh out in Sweden, in Gothenburg, what God is doing. That's the calling. That's the gathering. It's the purpose of the gathering. It's not to come and get your blessing and then you can drift away again. It's to be the people of God, to portray the beauty and the glory of God's ultimate purpose. even in Look, No one's stupid. Everyone knows that it's not perfect. Everybody. Everybody knows that our showing forth as the church is just a pale reflection in some ways. But the thing is, rather than going, oh, it's it's not perfect, I'm going to leave. You say, well, it's not perfect, so what do I do? Well, I need to press in more, because this is what God cares about. God has placed a stupendously high value on the church. He hasn't bequeathed his intention to... Bring all things together in heaven and on earth to another people, he's revealed it to you. And he expects and looks for his people to flesh it out in relationship in their day to day lives and in the gathering together as the people of God. Now, thirdly, wow, that's bright. You're never quite sure when you put the slides together whether those colours are going to burn people's retinas when they go up on the screen. Stewards of God. Okay, so we've had the the purpose of God, the plan of God, the household of God, which is you. And now we're going to talk about stewards of God. Now, because Christians, uh, even even reasonably mature Christians, don't necessarily just sort of all fall in together and and, and work it out and it all goes smoothly... (laughs) there needs to be some kind of ordering, right? There has to be some kind of leadership. There has to be some kind of oversight and chivying things, moving things along towards the right kinds of ends. And this is where the word steward comes in because Paul then says in Titus, he speaks about an overseer as God's steward. And then he says he must be blameless. Um, we're not going to talk about the blamelessness or otherwise of stewards at the moment. But what I want to do is focus again on a Greek word. Because the Greek word steward is oikonomon. So, what have you seen? The oikonomia, the plan of God. The oikotheu, the household of God. And within the household of God, the oikonomon, who is the steward of God. And and a leader in the church, whether you call them bishop, pope, cardinal, pastor, vicar, priest, sir, lord, or whatever you call them. They are a steward. And a steward in God's household, like, just like this, in the ancient world, a steward in a household wasn't the householder, not the boss. The steward was the number one servant, if you like. And the steward's role was to make sure that in all the dealings of the household, everything was done according to the will of the householder. From getting the kids to school, anachronistic, I know, to ordering food, making sure that the household's business interests are being looked after, to making sure that other servants are doing what they're supposed to do. And the point of a, of a servant, a, a steward in the household of God, I think most importantly of all, is not to run around the church and make sure that Ollie's happy, or run around chasing after that person because they had a bit of a grumble last week, or go over there, over there because there's, oh, there's a bit of a problem with something I preached the other week, all those things can be fine in their place. But the oikonomon, the steward, is supposed to shape the life of the church community so that it best reflects the oikonomia. You are the household of God to portray and display and defend the truth that Jesus is Lord. Leaders in the church, whether you call whatever you call them, and honestly, the nouns don't really matter. The verbs do. What they do and the function is way more important than the particular nomenclature, the particular names that you give to the leaders. But just call him Josh or Nina or Emily. Their role primarily is to make sure that this increasingly reflects that. That's the task. Now, you can complain if you like, but complain to him. Don't complain about him. You can criticise if you want, but don't go to someone else. Don't do it in a coffee shop. You can easily find the one that Josh goes to and avoid it, because he only goes to one. (laughs) Talk to him. He's not the boss. Jesus is the, the householder, actually. It's his household. He's a steward, a servant, as is anyone else who leads in this context. You are a steward of God. And your role is to, more and more and more, Shape this so that it looks like the priorities of God in uniting all things in heaven and earth. You know, in a, in a small way, in a microcosm, the church's life on earth needs to look like that final day when Christ appears and all things are made new. You can't do it perfectly. Some churches think, oh, we, we, we can do that. We'll bring heaven to earth. Heaven's already come to earth. It's already done. Jesus did it. And now we, we work it out and we figure it out. It's imperfect. But that's what a leader is for. But there's more. Because there's another verse that uses the same word. And it's in 1 Peter. And Peter says, Like good stewards of the manifold grace of God, serve one another with whatever gift each of you has received. Well, hallelujah. Turns out that you you all are stewards. You all are oikonomoi plural of stewards <laughs> all—that's that's you and you all get to participate in whatever you do in building the church and prioritising the priorities of God and the values of God and building towards something that reflects that big picture of what God is doing with whatever you've got now it's really important that you understand something about serving and servanthood Because a servant is not someone who comes along and says, here I am, and I'd like to do that. That's not really serving. It's not being a servant. A servant is someone who comes along and says, here I am, I'll do whatever you need me to do to get this done. Do you understand the difference? Now, you can serve in your gift, and that's, that's, that's to be encouraged. But don't imagine that you're being a servant, that you're being a steward, in the household of God, by showing up when you're on the rotor and then never coming the rest of the time. Because that suggests that it's about you and not about this, and certainly not about that. You must make sure that your stewardship and your servanthood is is that, a heart that says anything, I'm committed, I'll do whatever it takes. I'll turn up when I'm on, I'll turn up when I'm not. I'll show up, I'll serve, I'm not really gifted as a kids worker, but you need someone to step in, I'm there. I don't know, I don't know one of a lead from another, but I'll come and help Wendy plug in the PA on Sunday morning. I don't know, whatever it is. Because if you're not doing that, maybe you're becoming a consumer. And this all exists for your benefit, not for Gothenburg's benefit. And certainly not to reflect the values and the glories of the king. See, I can come and say these things because everyone will... I'll go home tomorrow and you can all grumble and complain and I won't be here to hear it. Brilliant. Don't give them my email address. (laughs) (laughs) So, what page am I on? So let me sum it all up then. Right. started saying, what's going on? Not a question, but... What, what is actually, what, what, what's, let's describe what's happening here. And what we've described is a massive theological reality, the biggest theological reality that is happening on earth right now. God's joining all things and bringing all things to sub, into subjection to Jesus Christ as the universal Lord of everything, heaven and earth, everything. God's on a mission, and he's using his church to fulfill his mission to bring all things together. And that's where you come in as the household of God, not a liberal social club with questionable values, but a household and a family with relationship and trust and love and giving to one another, with a steward or stewards who help you to get everything into an order that somehow looks kind of like that. And then you, as gifted stewards, whether it's whatever grace is given to you, with a servant heart that says, you know, whatever you need, I'm here, I'll I'll give myself to it. And as you do this, the reality of God's purpose is fleshed out, it's portrayed, it's seen, shown. It doesn't matter how many heads you can count. Don't get into the mistake of thinking it's only working if we can count another 30 heads every week. It doesn't matter. What matters is that this displays the values of God's big picture. That, brothers and sisters, is what's going on.